Hello, everyone. You're listening to Interest Podcast, and um, we have Namunder and Narachur uh, delivering from Tin Can Podcast Room with a very special guest, um, one of the most creative minds in town. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, my name is Dolgun. I make music as Magnolian, and uh, I'm happy to be at this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. We're, we're incredibly happy to have you. Um, so the first question is that your first single, um, the Someday, was released six years ago. And the music video has a very carefree spirit and the song itself is very happy. So can you talk about the birth of that song and how did people react to it back in 2015? Yeah, so I had written Someday a while back, but I had shelved it because I thought it should be sung by a, um, a female vocalist. And uh, I tried to um, perform it with other performers, other singers, but it just wasn't really working, so I just shelved it. And at the time, my girlfriend, Inkjin, um, she, we were just kind of hanging out, and then I said, hey, I have the song, um, do you want to try singing it? And I played it, and she sung it, and it, it worked really well. Uh, she's got this, um, her voice is um, woke for the song quite perfectly. And um, and she was about to go to school. She was about to go to um, she was about to do her masters um, in September, and I think it was like late October, late August at that time. So we kind of rushed to get it get the song recorded, um, and we just basically recorded the whole song in I think like three hours, um, and that was it. That was the first uh, that was the first Magnolia song, and you know funny enough it was uh I'm, i actually don't really sing on this on my first song and the first song is quite different from the other songs that i made and um but it was a good it was a good push because i was also working on my ep at the time i was trying to get it recorded and it just wasn't really moving but then uh someday came along and uh there was the momentum or um there was the sort of urgency to write and record it because Engine was about to leave, so I guess projects or um, anything you're doing kind of needs a certain amount of urgency in order to kickstart it into action. And once we recorded someday, then the rest of the songs it was kind of easier to work on the rest of the songs as well because I had that was the first time working with my producer, and so we had gotten a song in the can, so that kind of broke the ice for us. And um, the video also we. I wanted to release a song with the video um, because I think songs with videos generally have more traction. And we had brainstormed a bunch of different ideas. But finally, we just thought we should make it easy and simple and fun. And um, I think around that time, I was listening to, or we were listening to, a band called uh, Camera Obscura. And they have this song called French Navy which also has a similar style um, where it emulates a 8mm or 16mm camera. And that's how we made it. I just downloaded an app called 8mm and we walked around town and we captured a bunch of footage in UB. And I also wanted to show UB in a more regular, more street level um, uh, fashion, I guess. And so that's how it came together. I really fell in love with the music video of Someday, and I think th that's the song I discovered you by, and um, I, I love how it was born. So um, staying in the field of your music making, um, one of your most 
popular songs, Overtro, has an English version titled Bank It. And its, its lyrics makes the song completely different in terms of meaning. And we want to ask you, what made you decide to have two different versions of the song with such a difference in tone and message? Well, I had originally written the song in English. And while I was writing the song, I was thinking of a national song called um, Slow Show and maybe Apartment Story. I was thinking of those, kind, those kinds of um, songs by the national. Um, and they're my favorite band. And every time I write music, I kind of ask myself, what would the national do? And I just try to emulate um, their sound and their lyrics. And so I had just written um, Banquet in English first. And I hadn't really given the lyrics that much thought, to be honest. And then when it was time to record the EP, I thought it would be a good idea to have songs in Mongolian. I had wanted to record more of the songs from the EP in Mongolian, but I had never written Mongolian lyrics before. And Uchi was the first time I had written Mongolian lyrics. And it was very difficult. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in an English-speaking environment. I went to ISU. And so writing in Mongolian was very new for me but I felt I had to do it and I think I put more care into it because it was in Mongolian with English you know um, I'm more careless I just like you know whatever um, I know I mean even if it doesn't make sense you know I, I I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I kind of will English more loosely um, but I put a lot more importance on the Mongolian lyrics and I knew I didn't want to translate it because translating it would have been clunky and it wouldn't really make sense anyway and I had been thinking of the story of Justin Vernon from the band called Bon Iver and the way his first album For Emma Forever Go came together and I had been sort of sort um, channeling his story when I was writing the lyrics for Ujjo in Mongolian and that's sort of how Ujjo for the Mongolian lyrics the Ujjo came together um, I think a lot of us and our listeners can relate to how you would um, regard English carelessly or more, or more loosely. Um, and I definitely love the second version of Ujjo, personally. So um, moving on to our next question. Um, so I was at your watch party around like the 15th of April last year. It was virtual. And I was like first watching the music video of Prima Donna and thought its vibes were very similar to Haruki Murakami's 1Q84, the book. Uh, so we want to ask you, what was your inspiration for directing the video way you, the way you did? Um, well, thanks for watching the watch party. <laughs> um, I, I, had, I hadn't read um, 1Q84, so whatever reference to that is purely uh, coincidental. I had the idea for Prima Donna um, before I had actually recorded the song. I mean, I had written the song, but before I recorded the song, I um, I had the general idea, but not really the story. I had the images in my mind, you know, the car at the parking lot, the woman crying, um, her driving in the car, um, you know, walking around in a trench coat, going to the elevator with the mask and everything. And then... I knew that I wanted the video to also end up at the same place where it began. Um, so I just had these images and I built the story around uh, around the images that I had. Mm 
And uh, I think you would definitely love the book I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend it. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I've read a couple of his books before. So Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So the Caroline music video is the per- is the most personal you've ever gotten with like tapes from your childhood, pictures and like certain sentimental items being included. And the stop motion style is also reminiscent of your music video to Ovalstra. Um And we want to ask you, how was the song and music video made? And why did you choose to be personal with that specific song? Not, but not the others. Hmm. Well, the song had come about when I was just jamming with my friend Pato. He had written. He had. He had been playing. He was. He was playing the chords, and then I played the melody. Da da dum da da dum. I was. I, I started playing that part, and I recorded it on my phone. And all you need is just a little bit of a, uh, like a seed of an idea, um, and that was that. And then I had written that on my. I had recorded that on my phone, and then I wrote the different parts, and I had various different versions of the song, until I landed on the one in the album. And in terms of the music video, hmm, well, I my the the my friend who's a filmmaker, he made the video, or he's like the principal director, and he's also he also made Ulcho's video, and his specialty, I guess, is in stop motion, and he really liked that song, and he wanted to make a video for that song himself. Um, and we were kind of kicking around different ideas. But then the feel of the song became kind of different from the original version. The original version was more fast-paced and more energetic. But then the final version that ended up being in the album was more laid back and just more mm, tender and sweet. Um, and uh, one of the oh, Namka, who also who was also working on the video, she showed us. Was it was it Namka or was it my? Might have been Engchen. Anyway. They showed us a video of a, a short film called My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes, which basically has the same style of stop motion where, you know, a bunch of different items kind of uh, evolve into each other or I, I don't know how to explain it. And um, I, final, I fell in love with that kind of stop motion style. And around the same time, I had found a bunch of tapes, VC, VHS tapes and, um, you know, just those old cassettes at home. And I wanted to digitize them because... You know, if they're gone, they're gone. So I wanted to digitize them, and I watched them, and uh, I wanted to do something with them. So we decided to kind of marry the old archival tapes with the stop motion idea, and make the video a sort of meditation on things that have um, things are things that have passed or things that are no longer here or something you know i have to note that it's really cool to hear from you personally about how your music and like the music videos came along and speaking of childhood would you please tell us about how you spent your teenage years and like what advice would you give to our young listeners who want to make the best of their teen years hmm well i guess i was a bit of an outsider when i was a teen um I was the music kid. I listened to a lot of music, a lot of music, like first thing in the morning, last thing going to bed. And, you know, that was sort of my identity. Um, I didn't really hang out with kids that much, you know, kids who go to, my classmates would go out and go to like places like UB Club or whatever. That was like the it club at the time. I didn't really go there. 
yeah, I spend a lot of my time just making music, listening to music. Um, and I guess I'm not the most confident person, kind of self-conscious and shy um, when I was a teen. And, and, and I still am, I guess. I'm more of an introvert. Um, but, yeah, being a, being a teen, I guess I wish I was just... Mm. Yeah, just just do what you just do what you love doing. <laughs> yeah, and um like especially when you're a teen, I guess uh there's so much information about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing and um it's just it's just a I don't think it's a difficult it's, I don't think it's an easy time to be a teen. And um and just some of the most uh, creative or wonderful things that you could be doing is stuff that you naturally gravitate towards. So if you like writing, if you like skateboarding, if you like, you know, um, I don't know, video games, if you like um, any of those things, you know, you should just embrace that. And uh, it might not be what's taught in school or might not be what your parents say is the best thing for you. But, you know, if that's what you love doing and if you derive joy from that, then you should you should do that yeah as you said like in a time like this it's really hard to be a teenager so hearing you give advice to us and like how we should spend our teen years is very like motivating so thank you um in another interview you mentioned how as a kid you were obsessed with films that when someone visited you would like force them to sit through a film twice um are films still an obsession of yours and what films would you recommend to someone yeah, I still love films. I, I love films. Um, it's one of my favorite pastimes. Whenever I have, um, especially when I was in college, whenever I had a free day or something, I'd just go to the cinema and I'd watch two, three, uh, four movies, you know. Um, I just I just love it. And, um, you know, I guess stories just kind of help me make sense of the world. Um, yeah, so I still love movies. I love all kinds of movies. I was in a I was in a film association or I guess like a film club called Artes, and they would their mission was promoting art house movies and independent movies. So I I love independent movies. Um, I love big blockbuster movies as well. Um, so I love all kinds of movies. Mm, what kind of movies do I recommend? Uh, I guess Dune is a good movie to watch um, from the recent movies. Um, what else? I love Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Uh, you know, Coen Brothers movies. What else did I see recently? Um, yeah, I would, I would just recommend, hmm, Punch Drunk Love by Paul Thomas Anderson. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, a lot of, I think Wes Anderson has a new movie out that I'd like to see. Yeah, The French Dispatch. The French Dispatch, Yeah. yeah. Um, you also have an extens extensive experience working on film-related projects. Can you talk about how you entered the film industry and if it's not top secret, whether you have any future projects planned? Um, yeah, I started making videos, I guess when I was in college, might have been like my second year. I just captured some footage on my phone of my brother and my cousin cousins playing at the amusement park and I 
uploaded the video onto my computer and I opened iMovie and I tried cutting the footage together on uh, and you know editing it to some music I wrote and that was the moment where I realized that movies wasn't just something that you watched or it wasn't something that was that that you know um, like what magical wizards did it was something that you could do yourself as well or I could do myself and ever since I made that discovery then I just started experimenting with um, with cameras and with footage and videos and editing tools and and then I became something of a self-taught filmmaker and when you acquire some skills then that opens up a lot of doors and opportunities for you to work on various stuff so yeah ever since then I've been working on a bunch of a bunch of film projects at basically every level of production um, but a lot of it has largely been documentaries and I guess Prima Donna was probably like my first time working with an actor and uh, working with a big not big but you know like a proper production um, that where I was the director so yeah I mean I do aspire to make movies in the future and I'm actually applying to film school right now to get my master's in filmmaking and hopefully after I go to after I go to film school I'll be able to make proper movies so yeah mm -hmm. um, aside from being a talented musician and filmmaker you also run an underground jazz club called Fat Cat Jazz Club can you talk about the origins of that iconic club and how you came to be a co-founder yeah so um, one of the musicians I played with Hangar, he's a he's a trumpet player and he came to me one day with an idea. He said, I want to open a jazz club. Do you want to partner up? And um, obviously, if you want to open a club, you need money. And I thought a good, clever way to raise money would be to borrow little bits of money from a lot of different people instead of borrowing, borrowing a lot of money from one person. And that's what we did. We figured out that we need maybe like $30,000. And... Um, I thought, I'm sure, I'm positive we can find 30 people who would lend us $1,000 each. And $1,000 isn't that much money, um, whereas $30,000 could be a lot of money, you know. Um, and we very easily raised $30,000 just by borrowing it from 30 different individuals and couples. And I think that was very um, advantageous in many different ways because you're basically spreading the risk. If you borrowed 30,000 bucks from one person and you lost the money, then then it would kind of be painful for them, you know. But if you borrowed 1,000 bucks from 30 different people and you lost their money, then they'd be like, okay, I mean, it was fun, you know. So, um, so that's sort of how it started. And we were really lucky, I think. The Fat Cat just kind of came together at the right place at the right time. Um, our location where look we have i think we have the best location and we just walked in and there was nobody there and we realized we could rent it and around the same time hangar and his buddies they were doing jazz days tuesdays so they were doing or tuesdays jazz days they were doing jazz shows every week and people were showing up and they were really interested so that was became so, sort of a the proof of concept where you realize that people are would be interested in jazz so that kind of became my, uh, that kind of proved to me that it'll work.
Yeah. Mm. As for your education, you graduated from the University of British Columbia with a bachelor's degree in art history. Um, do you see yourself pursuing a career in that field in the future, besides already making history in the Mongolian music industry? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think I'll be working in art his, as an art historian. I mean, as an art historian, I guess you can. I guess there's a lot of stuff you can do with art history. But no, I don't. I don't plan on actually working on, as an art as an art history art historian or like a curator or a museum person or no I don't, I don't plan on doing that and to be honest I was I think what you study in your in your bachelor's doesn't really have a whole lot of bearing on what you decide to do for a living for a job I think especially your bachelor's degree is more like general education and it's more like you're arming your mind with the tools to protect it from, I don't know, fake news, from, um, from, you're just basically building the immune system of your mind, you know? So I am, so a lot of people ask me like, what should I do for my bachelor's? What, like, you know, what jobs, what's the job market like and stuff like that. And, uh, and, like it, it almost doesn't matter what you do for your bachelor's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. On the same premise, I'm also like interested in just pursuing my interests in college, like for my bachelor's degree. So, um, yeah, you talking about that is very relatable to me personally. Um, and speaking of like your journey to the University of British Columbia, like, can you describe like how what your journey looked like and the application process and give advice to students wishing to study there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I should just note that I wasn't a very good student when I was your age. <laughs> when I was in tenth grade and twelfth grade, I, I probably wasn't the best student. So I don't know if I should be the best person to give advice. But uh, the reason I went to Canada, I actually went to University of Alberta first. So I was there for two years, and then I transferred to UBC and I graduated from UBC. The reason I went to Canada was because I didn't want to give the SATs. That was like the only reason that I didn't apply to the U.S because um, I'm not a fan of tests and I just didn't want to give the SATs. I mean, that's like probably the dumbest reason to not apply to schools in the States. So I don't advise that. Um, but UBC is great. I, I, really loved, I really loved UBC. And there are a lot of Mongolian students there, actually. And I found that it was relatively easy to get into. <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, just just go for it. Mm -hmm. um, some creatives see inspiration and motivation as inconsistent forces that come and go in waves, right? While others see them as skills one must hone, like forcing themselves to be inspired and motivated. So what about you? Do you force your inspiration or do you wait for it? I think I force it. I, I kind of have to force it because if you just kind of sit around waiting for it, then I find that it doesn't work. I mean, the older I get, I find I have to force it more. When I was younger, when I was like, a, when I was teenagers, when I was a teenager, you're just, you're, your mind and your heart and everything is just so open and you're just hypersensitive to everything. And I found it was more, it was easier to get inspired when I was younger. Um, but, you know, as you get older, I guess you kind of get preoccupied with different stuff. 
and you have to actively make time and make space for yourself to um, for yourself and for yourself to actually enjoy and appreciate um, art and be inspired as well so um, so yeah I find I have to force myself yeah I actually have to literally sit down and say okay I'm gonna work for an hour and just just work on it you know so yeah a lot of the time I think people think uh, I mean I guess it's a bit of a combination but I think people think making music or writing or making some sort of art is you just get like this lightning bolt inspiration and you have to get it out in a certain sense it is but then again you it doesn't happen as well and you can have the initial idea it could be like a lightning bolt but then to have an initial idea and then turning that into a final product and actually finishing it requires sitting down and working at it like you're writing an essay or like you're actually working you know and you know a lot of some of the best artists and some of the best writers um they would just write a thousand words every day or they would just you know spend 15 30 minutes every day writing just just writing it doesn't even matter if they don't write anything at all or if what they write is terrible it's just making that time for yourself to write you know it's almost like how if you're an athlete you probably have to jog every day or train every day so you kind of have to train your mind every day as well um okay so to end off you once mentioned that making playlists is not something you do carelessly that you put a lot of thought and emphasis on like the sequence of songs and that you, that you like to keep your places playlist short um do you mind sharing with us a few songs from one of your playlists and explaining what they mean to you oh that's a good question mm. yeah i mean i've always listened to music in the right order like i've always listened to music in full albums um so when I also made playlists for my friends, I took care to make sure that the flow or whatever kind of worked. Um, but I haven't made a playlist in a while. Um, now I just have a playlist with my friend where we both just add songs carelessly. But if I were to make a mixtape, I remember um, Fake Empire by The National, that would be the opening track. And then I think the second track would be um, Keep the Car Running by Arcade Fire and then the third one was like Sleep the Clock Around by Bell and Sebastian or you know something like that and they just had a nice nice way of moving through each other and um, yeah Fake Empire is the song that got me hooked on the national I think Keep the Car Running was probably the first Arcade Fire song I heard um, and Bell and Sebastian's song was I mean it's not like their most well-known one but it's my favorite one from them and it just kind of sets the mood in a in a nice way okay um thank you so much for sitting here with us to do this interview um we never thought that we'd get a response from you um but it's, it's very we're very lucky to be here so before we end off um is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners um oh goodness um well thanks for having me uh i was um i was i was uh delighted to be invited and i'm happy to be on the podcast 
and to the listeners just uh you know stay safe stay warm um do what you love doing watch movies listen to music yeah that's what i would say as namon said thank you so much for accepting our interview request we're really honored to have you here and um i i hope as as far as i know um namon and i enjoyed your valuable advice and uh listening you listening to you share a piece of your mind so i'm sure our audience will enjoy it as well thank you so much all right thanks so much <laughs>